0: Hi, this is Kristen Busquette from Socialmate, and you're listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast.
1: Hey, everyone. Real quick, I want to take a moment just to tell you a little bit about Clarity, a powerful tool that allows you to organize, optimize, and update your blog content for maximum growth. Using Clarity, you can create projects to help you optimize and refresh old content on your site. Say you want to go into your old posts and add some internal links to keep readers on your site. You can figure out which of your posts don't already have internal links, assign those posts to a campaign so you know which posts need to be updated. Then you can track your work as you update those posts all within the Clarity app. Clarity users have direct insights that will help them identify which posts to update, figure out what they should be updating and adding to those posts and understand the impact their updates have with a direct integration into their Google Analytics accounts. If you are interested in learning more and potentially becoming an early adopter of Clarity, you can go to clarity.com forward slash eblogtalk to sign up for the waiting list and receive 50% off your first month. Go to clarity.com forward slash eblogtalk or check out the resources page on eblogtalk.com forward slash resources to learn more. Hey, food bloggers. Welcome to eBlog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you are listening to episode number 365. I have Kristen Busquette with me today. She's going to talk to us about how food bloggers can successfully work with brands, negotiate contracts, and build long term relationships with dream companies. Kristen is a Charlotte-based content creator and influencer coach at Your Social Mate with a goal of educating entrepreneurial creators on how to turn their online influence into a profitable, self-sustaining business through her podcast, community, Facebook group, and coaching programs. She wants creators to learn how to be successful digital business owners while keeping the soul in social media. (laughs) Kristen, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. How are you?
0: I am doing so well. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yes. And congrats on your recent marriage and wedding. All the photos online looked beautiful.
0: Oh, thank you. It feels so weird that it's over, but I am also low-key excited to have more time. (laughs) Yeah,
1: for sure. Well, before we dig into working with brands, do you have a fun fact to share with us?
0: Yes. So before I was a content creator and an influencer, I actually used to be a hairstylist and makeup artist and photographer. So I owned a company where I would do people's hair and makeup and then take their photos. I actually sold that business in 2019, and that's when I became a full-time creator. So it's
1: been a, a weird journey, but <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, so you have like the creative gene through and through. I mean, that is still creativity. That yeah, line of work. Yeah,
0: yeah. Everything I've like ever done has been creative. I feel weird if my job is is not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. I feel like my life has been kind of the same, and many influencers and creators' lives are the same way, which is kind right. of cool. Like we go from one creative outlet to the next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. And that explains why your hair is always so cute too. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Thank you. Yes. All
1: right. Well, let's talk about working with brands. You have backed like a journey with doing brand work. So we would love to hear about that. Can you just talk us through how you got to the point where you're at today with sponsored work?
0: Yeah, it's been kind of a long journey. I'll give you the short version. So back in 2008, actually, I started a fashion blog. I was I was literally in high school and I lived in a small town in Massachusetts where there was pretty much nothing fashion related happening. And so as someone who really loved fashion, I wanted to have this kind of outlet to just share my outfits. I had pretty much no idea what I was doing, but I was just sharing things. Didn't know that anyone was going to see them necessarily. But I actually back then started working with brands in like a gifted capacity, which is kind of crazy to think about now because it's so different than it was back in 2008. Like I would never back then have expected to get paid or have any sort of real relationships with brands like I do now. But they would send me clothes and I would, you know, post an outfit photo on my blog and tag them and things like that. So what I've done up until then has kind of just been, you know, evolving with the industry. So I started off just doing gifted things in my blog. And then eventually, I want to say in maybe 2012, 2013 is when I started on Instagram, but I wasn't necessarily posting for, you know, fashion specifically, it was more of a personal page it wasn't until probably 2018 when I started to intentionally post on Instagram. And at that point, I started to kind of build back up those relationships that I had started with brands back in 2008. But now I knew that there was kind of this new idea of being able to actually like get paid for this and kind of turn it into a job. So it was in 2018 that I started working with brands At first, again, had no idea what to charge, no idea like how to basically the logistics of of being a creator who was actually working with brands and making money from it. But I had a lot of trial and error, a lot of experiences that I learned from. And in 2019 is when I was able to sell that business to become a full-time creator. So at that point, I was making enough money where I felt comfortable leaving my job and strictly working with brands. And it's just kind of evolved since then where I've been able to really figure out what to charge and how to navigate contracts and how to build relationships with brands where I'm at the point now where I don't really do a lot of pitching. It's more just working with the same brands that I've been working with They're the same agencies. So building those relationships I've realized has been so important, but it's taken a long time to get here.
1: So <laughs> Awesome. I appreciate you talking through all of that. That's so interesting. I just love hearing how different people have such different journeys, whether it's with blogging or working with brands. And it sounds like your journey with brand work is truly authentic. Like you've literally just learned it all. You know, you said that you went in and you didn't know and you just had to kind of do trial and error. So I feel like that is more valuable than like getting breaks, you know, like you truly just had to learn and go learn as you go.
0: Oh, yeah. And I mean, back when I was getting started with all this, there weren't coaches and there wasn't, you know, like any sort of guidebook for this. So I guess my only option really was to do trial and error. But again, like I'm glad that I did because I learned so much through my own trial and error that now I can teach my students through my own experiences, not just things that I've learned, you know, through the grapevine on the Internet. So having these experiences has actually been able to bring me to where I am today, where I'm a coach and I'm able to, again, like, teach through more authentic
1: experiences. Right. Yeah. And that makes you valuable as a coach as well. So let's talk about bloggers who are looking to get into working with brands or maybe they are working with brands and they want to just dig in a little bit deeper. Can you talk to us about like what needs to be done beforehand? Is there any pre-work that we need to do before we reach out to a brand or even think about working with a brand?
0: Yes, and it's so crazy how important this is and how many people skip this step it drives me crazy. It's something where you can send a pitch to a brand and, you know, maybe something happens if you're lucky, but if you put in the work beforehand to really have this great first impression and wow the brand, it's it's just so much easier to get a positive response or any sort of success there. So typically what I suggest people doing once you have kind of a list of the brands that you want to work with, first things first, you need to make sure, like, bare minimum, that you are following them on social media platforms. This is so important. And again, it's kind of a slap in the face to a brand when they get a pitch from you and you're not even following them. So
1: ouch.
0: <laughs> first things first, like go follow the brand. It's a quick, easy thing to do. And then I typically suggest that people do this process of what I call warming up the brand, where you spend some time with the brand on social media, really like getting to know them, introducing yourself to them in a way that feels really organic and just basically letting them know that you exist so that when they do get maybe a cold pitch or a DM from you, it doesn't feel as aggressive, I guess, where, you know, like they don't even know who you are and you're asking them for money. It's easier for you to introduce yourself for a job when you've shown that you're there to support the brand, you know, and and you've been following them, you've been interacting with them. So warming up the brand for me is where you are spending time interacting with them on social. So if you were to put on post notifications or story notifications and you spend time actually consuming their content and interacting with that content, maybe you're sending a response to a story that they posted of a new product and you tell them how excited you are or they post a feed post about how they are now cruelty-free or something. You know, okay, awesome. You're so excited about that and you comment. So you spend this time just showing the brand, first of all, that you exist, but also that you're interested and you're actually there to learn more about them. And it's nice to do this step too, because then when you actually go to pitch, you have the knowledge of what they've been sharing. So you can kind of speak to what the brand is working on and how you can actually help with that. So for example, if it was a brand that said, oh, we're going cruelty free, we're so excited. Now you know that and you can kind of use that information in your pitch. Oh, I saw that you guys are cruelty-free. How are you marketing that? Like, I would love to help with that. Here are some ideas I have, etc. So it does give you a leg up to actually just kind of spend time with the brand in, in so many different ways.
1: So it's much like just warming up to a friend, right? Like if you yeah. see someone on social media, which I think we've all been there, especially on Instagram, where we're like, "Oh my gosh, that blogger is really cool. I just like their message. I like their vibe. I would love to get to know them." So you start consuming their content more and you get to know, "Okay, hey, they have 3 kids and you know these little <laughs> details so that yeah. when you do actually talk, you actually know facts about them." So it's kind of the same thing.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, that's a big part of it is kind of like showing the brand that you're interested. But I think another big part of getting prepared to pitch is also making sure that your profile and your, your platforms are actually ready for that. I mean, you don't want to be pitching when you feel like your engagement is at its lowest and you're not really excited about the content you're sharing and, you know, like you're, you're not feeling good about your content. You know, like you want to be pitching when you feel like you're on fire. You want a brand to able to come to your page and know exactly who you are and what you offer. You want them to look at your content and be like, wow, this is like the best content I see on their page. It's amazing. Look at all this engagement. People are so excited. So, you know, it's it's hard for creators because I think so many of us want to hurry up and pitch and hurry up and get jobs. But so much of building relationships and in having brands that you're working with is really just kind of being in it for the long haul and knowing that it's going to take time for you to build rapport with this brand. But also you have to line it up where you're the right creator for the right brand at the right time for the right campaign. Like that's a lot of moving parts. And and again, just being there and, and letting the brand know you exist is easier because then when those opportunities do come up, they know you exist, you know, and they can kind of come to you versus you pitching and trying to get all of those kind of things to line up at the same time.
1: Yeah, that is such great advice. So I have a question specifically about like an Instagram profile. Obviously, you want your photos to be beautiful and attractive and appealing in some way. But what do you recommend for the copy that you put on your profile? I know it's limited do you have any recommendations for that? Yeah, I mean, I
0: think your bio is one of the most important parts of your entire profile on Instagram, especially typically when people come to your page. I mean, it's right front and center right there. So it's maybe people aren't going to read every single word of it if they're just there to kind of look at photos. But most brands, if they're looking to potentially hire you, are going to check out what's in your bio and actually read through that. So I typically in my bio try and make it really clear what my mission is and also what type of content someone might get from following me or someone might get from hiring me. So I try and make that really clear there. And then also location, having your location in your bio is very important too, especially with brands who are looking for creators in a specific kind of like demographic or area that location is going to be very important. Because again, if a brand is looking for someone in a specific place, and they have to go searching for where you live, they're probably not going to they have not a lot of time to do these things. So that makes it really easy for them. And also having your email in the bio is so, so, so important. A lot of brands are doing their casting for campaigns on the computer. And that contact button is not there on the computer. So you have to have it in your bio that's going to make it so much easier for a brand when they're coming onto your page
1: i kind of like that the characters are so limited on instagram and i don't i don't remember if tiktok is like that too but oh, yeah. it requires you to be really efficient with what you're saying and just like streamline your message right up front right
0: Yes, exactly. This is actually something that, so I'm in a a podcast program where I'm just learning how to, you know, better my podcast and everything. And that was one of the first things that we learned was like, how can you explain your podcast? in 10 words or less. (laughs) And it's so difficult to do. But it's it was such a great exercise, because now I have like my 10 word description that I can pretty much fit in any area that it needs to fit, you know, instead of me having to write a whole paragraph to explain what it is that I do and what my mission is. It's the same for an Instagram profile, try and explain what you do in 10 words or less. It's difficult, but very helpful for you to have.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think that a lot of people, myself included, would really struggle with that because we tend (laughs) to want to get really wordy like, well, I'm this and I do this and here, you know, like just make it more succinct basically.
0: Exactly. It's difficult. It's difficult. It
1: is. It's not an easy challenge. (laughs) Okay. So a food blogger is like, okay, definitely want to do this. I'm going to warm up the brand, you know, find a few to warm up. And then once you're into that, how do you actually contact them to propose a partnership?
0: So I have a few different answers for this because I I think it's kind of difficult to get one kind of strategy to work for all different brands. So typically what I suggest doing first is actually not trying to send a cold pitch. Because as I was saying, you have to try and get so many moving parts to line up and i'm sure any creator listening who has pitched to a brand is probably like oh i didn't get any answers i didn't get any responses the response rate for a cold pitch is so low typically because these brands are getting so many pitches that look exactly the same mm. and they don't have time to answer every single one of them. So I actually do what I call the anti-pitch method. We have actually a whole free masterclass on social media on the website where we talk all about how this works, but basically the anti-pitch method is where you create relationships with the people who are behind these brands. So maybe it is, I'm trying to think like, okay, real good foods, right? They make like the pizzas and all of those things. So if you ever wanted to work with a brand like that, so I would be going on LinkedIn and I would type in real good foods and typically the business profile will come up. And so from there, what I would do is basically look at the people who are listed on LinkedIn that work there. And you can search through all these different job titles, looking for someone who is maybe influencer marketing coordinator or someone in marketing or social media or influencer relations. And these are the people that you want to start to build relationships with, right? Because they're the people who are going to either hire you or not hire you. So typically what I'll do is try and connect with them, kind of introduce myself, you know, if you're a food creator, food blogger, and you're a big fan of the brand, you're excited to kind of stay up to date with what they're working on. But typically I try not to sell myself in this initial interaction because I just want the brand again to know that I exist and know that I'm there to just kind of like keep up with them because I'm a loyal customer. I'm a loyal follower. So then as they maybe share things on LinkedIn, or maybe they also have a Twitter and they're sharing things on Twitter, I'm there interacting with those things. If they say, oh, you know, real good foods, we just came out with this new, you know, this new pizza recipe or whatever it is. And then I'm in there commenting, oh my gosh, the last one was so good. I can't wait to try this one. And again, I'm not trying to sell myself. I'm really just saying, hey, I exist. And I'm literally here keeping up with you guys and what you're doing at this brand. Like I'm excited and I want to be a part of it. So typically I spend like a few weeks just kind of warming up these brands until I feel like I've had enough interactions with them where I can actually start a conversation with them. So I might slide into the DMs on LinkedIn and say, Hey, you know, it's so cool that you guys just came out with this new pizza recipe. I absolutely love the last one. How are you guys marketing this? Like, I would love to talk a little bit more about or learn a little bit more about what you're doing, you know, with this marketing campaign. Let's get on a call. And so, my goal is to kind of, again, just hear more about what they're working on. Hopefully, on a call, I feel like you can get so much more personable on a call. And then at that point, I can kind of, introduce my own services by saying, Oh, that's awesome that you guys want to make more reels. Do you have anyone helping you with that? Are you looking for any UGC or even a blog post to help get the word out? And I can kind of start to sell myself then, but it feels a lot more authentic because I've already been keeping up with the brand and interacting with them. So that's the anti-pitch method in a nutshell.
1: (laughs) I love that. Okay. I love this method. It's like establishing a relationship upfront. It's very authentic. And that's kind of your message to like being authentic and just naturally letting it evolve. Now you mentioned LinkedIn. How important is it for content creators to be on that platform?
0: I mean, I think for, again, this anti-pitch method, LinkedIn, I do think is the best option for that i mean a lot of people have twitter as well but i don't think people treat twitter as like professionally as they do linkedin so building business relationships i do think typically is best on linkedin we actually have a whole podcast episode about kind of optimizing your linkedin as a creator And I think that could be kind of helpful before you start going into this anti-pitch method. But overall, I do think that LinkedIn is kind of the best place to do it. LinkedIn is very underrated, in my opinion.
1: I hear that too. So I'm a huge fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, and he has been saying this for years. He's always like... I don't care what kind of content creator you are. You need to be on LinkedIn, and you need to be yes. putting a lot of focus there. And I feel like if he's saying that, that's what we should maybe be doing. <laughs> I believe everything he says. <laughs> I know, same. Like he's got this magic intuition where he'll kind of predict something, and then everyone's like, "What?" And then it kind and yep. then it happens. It unfolds that way. And so yeah, so he's saying be on LinkedIn. So I think there is value there, and brands are there, right? So they're looking oh, yeah. for relationships as well let's take a really quick break to talk about a service I'm really excited to share with you. As a food blogger, you've got so much on your plate. You are busy developing recipes, taking photos, writing posts, managing social media, and all of the other things. You work hard to help your readers live a more delicious life. Even though you enjoy working in your business, I think we all do it because we love it, your to-do list is probably a mile long. You know what I'm talking about. And maybe there are certain things you'd rather not deal with, such as writing. If writing is not your cup of tea, you do not have to go it alone. Heather Eberly is a content writer for food brands. She uses copywriting and marketing techniques to grow your business so you can focus on doing the things you love. If you want to gain Google traction, stand out from the crowd, and take your income to the next level, Heather can help You Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to get more information about Heather's services. Again, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources and click on Heather's link. And now let's get back to the episode.
0: This has been, I would say in 2022, probably 70% of the collaborations that I've had are brands that I've already established connections with or brands that I have built these relationships with through platforms like LinkedIn. I mean, if you can't find people on LinkedIn, that's why I say like there are multiple options for creating relationships with brands because not every brand is going to have people on LinkedIn that you want to connect with. So like in those situations, maybe you are kind of sending a cold pitch or maybe what I've also seen, probably the other 30% of my partnerships this year has been me organically mentioning brands in posts or in stories or on a TikTok video and them seeing it. And then we start a conversation, maybe again, jump on a call, talk a little bit more about what I offer and how I can help. So honestly, like I'll be totally straightforward with this. I really do think that the cold pitch at this point in influencer marketing is more oh, kind of a waste of time than anything else. It's just so hard to get all of those things to line up. And especially if it's a larger brand, it's really, really difficult to get them to even see your email and want to read through the first, you know, more than the first sentence. So I really do think that with how saturated this market is, you have to do your best to stand out and show that you actually care and aren't just there for a paycheck. And these organic interactions, whether it's like anti-pitch method or, you know, organically mentioning the brand first in a post or again, a story, or whatever, I really think that's the best way to do it at this point. It's just pe- brands can see through the inauthentic kind of, you know, oh, I just want to like work with this brand to get a paycheck. And so at this point, I think we have to kind of do a little bit better. <laughs>
1: As food bloggers, we get pitched too quite often by random people. So I think if we can frame it that way and think of those pitches because they're extremely inauthentic, they're super annoying. Like every time I get an email that's like, okay, clearly this person does not know anything about me. I often get emails for Eat Blog Talk and it's like, dear eat, comma. I'm like, really? Uh. You can't even put my name in there? <laughs> So delete, like, we know how that goes. So think of it like that, like those emails that you get that are just auto deletes. What don't you like about them? And maybe, you know, just thinking through that.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, again, even financially, think about it too. You know, who is the person that you would rather give your money to if you were a brand? Someone who's been Literally commenting on every post. They're always in your DMs. Like, they're there. They want to get on a call to talk about your marketing goals. Like, are you going to give it to that person or the person who sends you a cold pitch that they copied and pasted and, you know, sent to 50 different brands and has like no sort of personalization? I
1: I think it's pretty obvious. (laughs) Yeah, right. And the emails that are like all about them
0: are Mm -hmm. super annoying
1: as well. You know, if you want something from me, shouldn't you show that you know me or like you know my name? (laughs) Something would be great there. So I think we can all relate to this on some level because we are on the receiving end of those types of emails. So cold pitches are a huge turnoff unless, yeah, like there are those magical emails that get through and like land. Yes. But for the most part, I just like, ooh yucky. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's typically like my last resort. If I have exhausted every other option possible and I'm like, this is a brand I really, really, really want to work with. Okay, fine. I'll send the cold pitch. But I try to go into that with not very high expectations because again, it's just there's so many things that have to line up. It's It's not easy.
1: And if you do do a cold pitch, do you go from a template or I'm assuming you just write a super authentic email that's genuine?
0: I mean, I have kind of a a format, I guess. Typically, I'll just kind of introduce myself. I'll talk a little bit about, you know, maybe one sentence. Okay, this is who I am and this is my mission. And then I typically like this should be very short and sweet. Like you're not even necessarily trying to sell yourself here. You're more just saying, again, hi, I exist, like I want to hear more about what you're working on. Like, again, that you brought up a great point where some brands will make their pitches all about them when they're pitching you. And that's not very attractive to you, you know, as a creator. And it's the same way when you go in and tell your whole life story and how you want to work with this brand and, you know, get a brand deal with them, but you don't talk about how you can help them or you don't ask them what they need help with. You know, how are you able to say like, Oh, I can help you with all of this stuff and help you get sales if you don't even know what their actual goals are. So I typically like to have my pitch where I'm just like, hey, this is who I am. Again, like I saw on your social media that maybe you're releasing this new thing or you just, you know, had this new technology or innovation or whatever it is, again, showing that I'm paying attention. And then I say, you know, I would love to hear more about what you guys are working on. Do you have 15 minutes in the next month or so? To kind of just like you know, let me hear a little bit more about what you're working on. Like, I'll I'll love to grab like a virtual coffee with you, you know. And I yeah. make it like a very casual interaction because again, like every pitch that they're getting says, "Hi, I'm a creator at here's my Instagram handle. Yeah, I've worked with all of these brands in the past. Here's my engagement rate. Me 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 me, me 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 me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: Okay, that is super helpful. I love your perspective. I think this is really just novel. Something that we don't always think about we always think like we tend to think just like cold pitches do 100 do 500 like do as many as you need to but this is a great way to kind of think around that cold pitch issue because honestly we don't like receiving cold pitch emails but it's kind of hard to write them too it's like oh gosh how is this going to be received so it's not fun on either end and you have to
0: send so many of them to get any sort of success from them and i just feel like i have so many better things to do with my yeah. time it's exhausting
1: <laughs> right okay so i know a lot of food bloggers who dig into brand work are okay with doing one off jobs mm-hmm. but what if there's a content creator who wants to dig into more of a long term partnership how do you recommend going about that from the start
0: yeah i mean this is this is what I try and do for every single partnership, because I mean, think about how much easier it would be for you as a creator to just have a set of brands that you can continuously work with and that your audience is seeing time and time again. They know you're loyal to, they know you love versus, you know, a one-off post. And then you have to go searching and hustling for jobs, you know, again, and it's so much more work. So it, it makes so much more sense to me that you would find brands that you want to work with long term and again for your audience too they will respond so much better to that as well so typically this is why that anti-pitch method works so well is because i'm not going into that pitch saying hey i want to do an instagram post with you i'm asking them like what are you guys working on this quarter what are Mm -hmm. you working on this year and then i'm putting together okay this is how i can help so i'm saying you know let's do, I'm sending them a proposal that maybe says like, okay, in the next three months, let's do one post each month, one story each month, and then one blog post each month. First of all, it's really great financially because you're able to secure three months worth of jobs with one brand. And again, you don't have to go searching for more and more partnerships, but you're also showing like, I'm in this for the long haul. And I think a lot of brands appreciate that too, because then they also don't have to go find more creators to work with and you would be surprised <laughs> being on the other end so many creators looking at their page you would think they'd be great to work with but you know they take 2 weeks to answer an email or they don't read the brief and don't send in content that makes any sense you know there's there's so many things that can go wrong for a brand working with a creator that if they can find someone who is dedicated and loyal to their brand but is also really great to work with you're going to get hired over and over again. So typically it's all about in that first interaction, again, showing that you're in it to help that brand with their goals and then just continuously saying, okay, so what's the goal of this quarter? All right. How are we going to make that happen? And just again, kind of making yourself more part of the team. And that all starts from building that authentic relationship in the beginning where you're saying, how can I serve you? How can I help you?
1: so really being a gap filler finding those gaps in their business where they need help with and then just providing that for them
0: yeah absolutely and it's it really is more than just like being a creator for them like you really are almost part of the team where you know maybe they're asking you hey we just made this new landing page like what do you think of it you know and and those are all things that i'm always so excited to help with when I'm working with brands, because again, like that means they trust me and they're ready to, you know, like continue hearing out what kind of offers or what kind of proposals that I'm sending to them. So I always try and get in as deep as I can working with these brands, obviously, in a way that's sustainable and reasonable for what you're getting paid. But trying to be as much part of the team as possible is is just so Beneficial for you, but also it just the brands are going to absolutely love that. So wherever you can find, you're in there. Always a good option.
1: You said something earlier that was really interesting because, okay, you talked about like being dedicated and loyal, and I think that's interesting because I think we can often assume that everyone is dedicated and loyal, but that's not the case. There are not. <laughs> there are content creators who are flaky, and like you mentioned, you know, taking two weeks to get back via email, which is. A long time. So just being the content creator that shows up, that responds quickly, loyal, you're always there. Letting them know that you're always there for them, I think will give you a huge leg up.
0: Oh, truly. I mean, you can have kind of mediocre content and be an incredible brand partner and you're probably going to get hired again over someone who has really really incredible content but is horrible to mm-hmm. work with. So, being a great brand partner really goes such a long way. I can tell you from being on the other end very briefly before I was a full-time creator, I was kind of helping out some brands with influencer campaigns where I was the one reaching out to influencers and as someone who's like a type A person, I'm very, you know, on it when it comes to answering emails. I assumed everyone else was like this. I was absolutely floored when like I would have to chase people down for months for their invoice or we would send them the product and they just would never send content like so many just crazy situations. So being a great brand partner is actually like not that hard in comparison to what's out there, but it's really just about like if you can make that person who you're working with look good to their boss, they're going to rehire you over and over again.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really very simple. Like show up consistently just like you would a friendship. Like what are the things that you would do for a good friend? Think of that and do the same. It's really very simple, but somehow it gets really <laughs> complicated in our minds when we think about working with brands. What are some other things we can do to get brands to keep coming back to us? Do you recommend like showing statistics, you know, for campaigns or anything like that? Yeah, I mean most
0: collaborations will typically require that you do send statistics. I will say a lot of the times what I do is like I'll try and present these in a really nice way that, again, is going to kind of like wow the brand that I'm going above and beyond. So I have this kind of like wrap up template where basically I put in screenshots for each Posts for each story for each, you know, blog post, whatever it is of all my stats. And it's wrapped up in this beautiful PDF. And I just send them this PDF where, again, it's it kind of like presents it a little bit nicer than just sending screenshots as attachments. And they have to kind of figure out, OK, which screenshot goes with which posts. And it can be really confusing. So, again, like being organized and labeling things and making it easily digestible is a great way to be a great brand partner as well. The stats, I think, can kind of hurt you or help you, I guess. Obviously, like if you have a post that didn't perform the way you expected it to, it stinks to send those stats in because you don't want the brand to kind of not want to work with you anymore after that. But typically in those situations, I just try to recognize it and and offer to kind of like see what else I can do to almost make up for it. Like, oh, I already you know i know that this was a little bit lower than what we expected so i actually already have a story plan for later this week that i'm going to share with a new recipe or whatever it is but again you want to be a great brand partner they're investing money in you so how can you you know make yourself look like you are the most invested in getting them the results that they're looking for but again in a way that's still fair to you so stats i think are good and bad, but you'll typically always have to send them.
1: Yeah. I am by no means an expert with working with brands. I avoided it for much of my food blogging career. However, I do work with sponsors here at Eat Blog Talk, and I will tell you one thing, one little secret I have that I think is good. You can tell me what you think, Kristen. But I, like we land on our deliverables, like I will deliver you this at this time. And I just made a decision like halfway through the year to those sponsors that I'm really invested in. I'm just going to do like a few little extra things for them that were not in the deliverables because that just shows them that I love them. I want them to stick around. I believe in their service and product. So for me, that was like posting on TikTok. We had nothing in the agreement about TikTok, but I started doing that. And those, I mean, I don't get like huge TikTok numbers, but they did okay. And I got some like good responses from them. So just little things like that, I think are really good too, and are just a message to the brand that, oh, she believes in me enough to go above and beyond and do a little extra.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, over-delivering is a great way to, again, show that you're really invested in them and you're really there for their success. So I think that's a great option. Another thing that I like to do, too, is whenever I wrap up a partnership, I will try and send some kind of like even just a handwritten thank you note. I also have a friend who makes these really cute sugar cookies that are like, you know, like custom sugar cookies. So Every year I have her make a ton of them for me and I send out boxes for the holidays to all of my brand partners just being like, thanks for being a great brand partner this year. But it's one of those things where people don't do things like that typically. So they're going to get that box of cookies or that handwritten thank you note and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, like I can't wait
1: to work with her again. She gave us
0: cookies.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, that goes a long way. It's such a little gesture, but it can go so far because like you said, nobody does that anymore.
0: I mean, it comes down to, like, remembering that the person on the other end is a literal human Human. being. Human, yes. They're not a robot. It's not just a brand. It is a person. So it's like, how would you want to be treated in these situations, you know?
1: Cookies. Everyone loves cookies. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. It's an instant win. I
1: love that. I love that so much. I'm So I do that for, like, clients. I try to write handwritten notes and send occasional little gifts. But I never thought of doing that for sponsors. So that is, I wrote it down and circled it. I'm totally stealing that. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) That's fine. That's fine.
1: (laughs) Is there anything we've missed, Kristen, about this topic? Anything that you want to say before we start saying goodbye?
0: I guess I would kind of like to add, when you are working with these brands, you have to always keep in mind that this is a 50-50 partnership. You are just as responsible for everything as they are. You know, you're just as in charge as they are. So if brands ever are feeling like they're kind of taking advantage of you or you feel like you're giving more than they're giving, you know, those are situations that you want to keep in the back of your mind and keep an eye on. It's so easy for creators to feel like, oh, my gosh, well, whatever this brand says goes because they're the ones hiring me. But you don't work for them. You're working with them. So it's very important that you know how you should be treated. And when something feels wrong, like, don't be afraid to speak up and and say that it's wrong, you know, and that there needs to be a change that happens again, in all of my trial and error, that's happened to me too many times where I was afraid to speak up and ended up getting taken advantage of. And, you know, the more experience I had with it, the more it doesn't fly with me anymore. But it's very difficult when you're first getting started off to speak up for yourself. So know your value. If it feels wrong, don't be afraid to speak up and just know in the back of your mind that those
1: kind of things do happen. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so, so much for all of this, Kristen. You have so much knowledge on this topic. Just thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So I like to ask my guests at the end if they have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with. Do you have something to share?
0: Okay. I live by this saying of just you are in charge of your own happiness. You are in charge of your own success. So whenever it feels like things are coming at you in a million directions, just know that you have full control on how you handle things and where these things go. So it's up to
1: you. Keep it in the back of your mind. They don't control you. You control how things work. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I think that we actually talked about this on your podcast. Yes. I remember saying the same thing where I was like kind of tough love, like if your life is chaos, look back and know that that was you (laughs) and that you can change it or something along those lines. So I love that we both brought that message to the table. (laughs) We'll put together a show notes page for you, Kristen. If anyone wants to go look at those, you can go to eblogtalk.com forward slash social mate. And that is with an L. So S O U L C I A L mate. Tell everyone where they can find you. Talk about your podcast a little bit and what the best place to get a hold of you is.
0: Yeah. So we are on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all of the things. You can usually just search my name, Kristen Busquette, or you can search socialmate and find that. It's funny. I After just getting married, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to change my name everywhere. No one's going to be able to know where to find <laughs> me anymore. So yeah, you can find us pretty much in those places. We also, Social Mate have a podcast uh, where it comes out every Tuesday, a new episode. And um, Megan was actually on a recent episode, so you can go check that one out. It is called Social Scoop, and you can find it everywhere that you listen to podcasts. And we also at Social Mate have a monthly creator membership where every month... You are part of this membership where we get together on group calls. We have resources. We have exclusive podcast episodes. We give brand deal opportunities. There's really everything you could possibly need as a creator there.
1: So that is our monthly membership. Awesome. Everybody go check out Kristen on all the platforms. And thanks again, Kristen, so much for being here. And thank you for listening today, Food Bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of eBlog Talk. Please share this episode with a friend who would benefit from tuning in. I will see you next time.